Listener Production. Gidget Foundation Australia acknowledges the continuing connection to culture, lands, waterways and communities of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And we pay our respects to traditional owners of country, both past and present, throughout Australia. This podcast contains conversations about suicide, loss, depression and anxiety that some listeners may find distressing. If you or anyone you know needs help, don't hesitate. Contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or emergency services on triple zero. Those first six months of motherhood, I mean, my world just completely got turned upside down. I was not at all prepared. I should have looked out for myself more and I should have started that discussion and that thought process before we moved here. Stephanie Trithui saw a move to the country as a saving grace from the sinking feeling of sadness she experienced in the wake of becoming a new mother. But little did she know it would be the catalyst for some of the hardest challenges she would face yet. I got what I wanted, my beautiful, healthy baby with my beautiful husband on my beautiful farm in a beautiful part of the world. Like, what more could you want, Steph? But yet I was so down and I was so lost. Isolation from family, friends, even healthcare services is a reality many regional parents face, compounding the feelings of helplessness and hopelessness in an already difficult time. They say it takes a village to raise a child, then where the hell is mine? Pregnancy and the first year of parenthood is a time of major change in a person's life that, without the right support, can lead to or prolong perinatal depression and anxiety. For too long, these parents have suffered in silence, but that doesn't have to be where the story ends. Hi, I'm Davina Smith, and in this podcast, we tell the silent truth of PNDA loudly, and we meet some of the one in five mothers and one in 10 fathers who've lived through it. Ready to start talking. I'm Steph, and I'm one of the one in five mothers who have experienced PNDA. Today, we'll be discussing the challenges regional, rural and remote parents face when living with PNDA. And with Dr Erin Sito, she'll be joining us later to discuss the many ways in which parents in these circumstances can seek help through the Gidget Foundation Australia. Although it can feel as if you're on your own, remember, help is always just a click or call away. So we probably should say from the outset that Steph is joining us from rural Tassie. So bear with us if the audio sounds a little bit glitchy. We'll blame the internet for that one. But tell us, Steph, you are the founder, the CEO of Motherland, which is an incredible organisation. Tell us a bit more. Who is Steph? Thanks, Davina. So, yeah, I am a lot of things, wear a lot of hats, but I am a mum of two. I'm a farmer, a podcaster, and, yeah, now run this beautiful charity that I've put my heart and soul into. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a city girl gone country. So Motherland came about during my darkest time. I don't know where it came from. All I know is that I thought I love telling stories. I'm a trained journalist and I can't do that here. And I couldn't find any platforms or media outlets dedicated to rural motherhood and telling the stories of mothers on the land. And so that's where Motherland came about. And, you know, we're just about to hit half a million downloads of the podcast. And since then, we've grown to more than that, into more of a supportive service offering for for mothers, including Australia's first online rural mothers group program. Evie, my daughter, was the inspiration for that. And, and yeah, so really my own struggles have led to me finding my purpose, which is, I guess, the, the happy ending in all this. 
my disclaimer when I chat to you is that I know you and I've worked with you at Channel 9 for a number of years as a producer and a reporter. And I can remember the first week that you started. I remember somebody asking you, what do you want to be? And everyone who works and just walks into Channel 9 has this big dream, whether it's to be the weather girl or the newsreader or just to be on TV. But your answer was, I'm going to work at 60 Minutes. And I remember sitting there thinking, this girl is going to take on the world. And you were very much into storytelling and being a reporter. So when did Steph the reporter and the city girl become Steph the farmer? (laughs) <laughs> on a very slow news day, um, I was working. I was working up in Rockhampton for for Channel Seven at the time, and I interviewed my now husband Sam for the six o'clock news. There were no car accidents, no politicians in town. Like there was nothing happening, and Ouch. I I know. And I thought, what am I going to put to air tonight? Because I was bureau chief as well, and I went along to this little agriculture event, Rocky being the beef capital, and. And I thought, I'll, I'll do a story, I'll spin a story on, you know, the price of meat or something or other. And I ended up, yeah, interviewing Sam, who was flown up as a guest speaker, and we put together a story about how consumers are disconnected from their food and where their meat comes from. You know, people are used to going to the supermarket, not the butcher. And, and that was Sam who, who gave me that story and put it to air that night, and then the rest is history. Now I feel like I'm talking to a parallel universe because I met my husband in Rockhampton same thing, interviewed him for the 6pm news on a quiet news day, was a reporter there at the time. What is it about Rocky creating love? Oh, it's where all great love stories begin, (laughs) Davina. Um, (laughs) The love capital and the beef capital. Um, Yeah, no, I'm forever grateful for that slow news day because, yeah, my life has taken a complete 180. (laughs) You met. What stage did you realise my life's going to change here? I'm I'm not going on the same path of being a, a metropolitan news reporter. It's funny, I never really, it never really clicked. It wasn't a moment. It was so gradual. Sam, you know, when I met him, he he actually gave up a lot to be with me. So I was working Rockhampton. Then I got my break with Channel 9 and got offered a job reporting for a current affair in Brisbane and then later Melbourne. And so Sam actually had to pack up and pack up his farm gear and move to the city to be with me while I worked with Nine. So I never really thought that my life would change, but then slowly but surely, I fell in love with the country a bit more. Sam brought me home to Tasmania where he's from. We we spent a bit of time on his dad's farm in Victoria and, and there was talk of him wanting to go back to the land. And for me, as much as I loved my job, I also was craving something a bit slower and a bit more connected and I had had enough of the rat race and I, I worked in corporate for a couple of years after I left nine and and then all of a sudden you know yeah it was very clear that I would be I'd become a farmer and a farmer's wife I suppose and and yeah I was really happy to make that move totally went into it with rose tinted glasses but I was really happy and where did kids fit into the picture of, of your lives together yeah, so we had our first son, Elliot, our first child in Melbourne, and he was six months old when we packed up and moved here. But those first six months of motherhood, I mean, my world just completely got turned upside down. I was not at all prepared for the challenges. I know that you never really can be, but I feel like I just did not cope with how much things would change for me. I was always very career driven. I was always very much in the driver's seat. I'm a little bit of a control freak. And all of a sudden I was just untethered and I had to live and breathe and survive with this little thing, with this little baby. And I couldn't do what I wanted to do anymore. I, I My relationship with my husband changed because I was sleep deprived. We were, we were up at all hours of the night and, and he just kind of seemed to get on with, with his life a little bit, as a lot of fathers do. 
it just became very clear that I wasn't coping. And that was, yeah, that was really tough. Those first six months were hell. Talk to me about the pregnancy first. Was mental health at all on your radar during that time? No, and no one ever talks about it. We're so fixated on birth. No one talks about how you as a woman will change and and really matrescence, which is a woman's journey into motherhood and and all the changes she goes through. So, you know, I was very focused on the birth. I had a three-day labour. It was a long, a long labour and and painful and and that was really tough but far out. I'd have that labour every day of the week, you know, over over that the pain that, you know, I went through after that, which was not physical. A move when you've got a tiny baby isn't easy either in, in any case, let alone moving to somewhere where you're moving away from your support network. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand what it meant, that saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. I didn't really know what that meant. It was just this thing that people say. And then when you become a mum, you realise how much you need one. So we moved to Tassie with a six-month-old baby and so, yeah, I had no one. I had, I couldn't, you know, just go for a walk and grab a coffee up the road. I was on, you know, 450-acre farm with no connections to the outside world with this baby and a farmer husband who just would pack up and leave for work every day at 7.30 and wouldn't come home till 6 o'clock at night. And he just wasn't here and I wasn't prepared for that. I thought that when you married a farmer that they would be home a lot more because you're working from home, but he just wasn't. And so, you know, I very quickly learned that, you know, what I really married was the land and, and all the ups and downs that, that come with that life. It's lonely, isn't it? It is lonely. And you know what? Motherhood is lonely even if you live in right in the guts of a hustle, you know, hustle and bustle of the city, you know, with resources at your fingertips. We, we know that mums struggle regardless of where they live, but the added complexity that comes with being geographically isolated and Tassie's by no means remote. But for me, it was taking a city girl from Melbourne and putting her right in the middle of rural Tasmania that was really, really hard for me. And, and yeah, that social connection, I just didn't have it. I just didn't have anyone else to talk to. And I didn't have any other farming mums because mothering on the land is very different to mothering in the city in a lot of ways. And so that just made, I guess, my struggles, you know, even worse. When you don't have that connection there, it can be hard to flag as well that what you're feeling isn't just the baby blues, that this is something a little bit more serious. So how did that come about a diagnosis? It actually, it didn't come about for a very, very long time. It was only really last year that I properly got some help. And so, you know, I was really hesitant to talk to Sam about it. I knew I was struggling. I knew this was more than the baby blues. And look, when you've got a one-year-old, you know, you're not, you know, I stopped breastfeeding at 14 months and, you know, I love that journey, but like all of a sudden my hormones and stuff, I couldn't use that as an excuse to myself. It was more than that. And I didn't want to burden Sam with it because he was working his absolute guts out for us on the farm. He was working seven days a week. I'd agreed to move here. This was always the plan. And I got what I wanted, my beautiful, healthy baby with my beautiful husband on my beautiful farm in a beautiful part of the world. Like, what more could you want, Steph? But yet I was so down and I was so lost. And so I didn't talk to Sam about it. I didn't talk to anyone about it. I did talk to lots of other mums. So I, you know, started my own podcast, Motherland, and started sharing other rural mum stories and, and mental struggles were a part of that. But it took a while to find the guts and the courage to to share it with others but for me, the support for mums is just not there enough. And especially in rural regional Australia, I remember going to my GP to get a mental health care plan and he, he did one up for me and he said, you know, there's only one counsellor and she only visits this 
practice in this local town once a fortnight. So he booked me in. I had to wait eight weeks. And so over those eight weeks, you're kind of second-guessing yourself, like, you know, oh, you know, have a good day. And you're like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, maybe I don't need to. And I finally rocked up to this appointment and I felt a little bit of shame, which I feel ashamed to admit that I felt shame because I'm now such an advocate for it, but I felt embarrassed to be there. And I went up to the lady at reception. I said, oh, it's Steph here. I'm just here for my, my appointment. And she's like, oh, sorry, with who? And I was like, oh, um, I was like, I don't know her name, but the psychologist. And she's like, oh, oh, sorry, Dal, we've accidentally booked you in under podiatry instead of psychology. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I just, I just got in the car. I was like, oh, okay, no worries. Okay, bye. And then, like, the next appointment was, like, another three weeks away. And, like, by this stage, we're at, like, nine or whatever weeks. We're at, like, ten weeks of waiting. And I just got in the car and I just cried and cried and I just thought, I felt so let down by the system that I then just withdrew and I thought, I'm not going to get help. No one is here to help me. And so I just ignored it and I just got on with stuff. And and it finally I had to seek someone privately, not through the system, not in Tasmania because the wait list was too long. I felt so let down. I finally sought some help in early 2022 with an amazing woman based in Queensland who I see via telehealth and She's been a complete game changer for me and I think everyone needs someone like that in their corner. So, Steph, you had your son in Melbourne. Evie was born when you were on the farm. How did your PNDA differ in those two experiences? I think with my son, I would say it was far more dramatic and what I mean by dramatic is it was lack of sleep, like that newborn torturous sleep deprivation, the adjustment to first-time parenthood, it was very intense. Like everything I felt was like intense emotions, hormones, lack of sleep. It was just so obvious I wasn't coping and that continued on for several months. With my daughter Evie, I had the opposite in that she was an amazing sleeper. So I was feeling rested. I had an amazing water birth with her. She entered the world very calmly. It was a very beautiful transition she was a bit older when I started to struggle and it was more this feeling in the pit of my stomach, like this dull sadness. It wasn't like intense because of all the environmental things or the sleep or whatever. And and so I don't know if that makes sense, but it was just two very different feelings, both of which made me realise the outcome was I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled and I and I had lost my my spark for life. It was just get up, feed, play, repeat bath time like on like just this groundhog day which was probably the common thread but different intensities in both I think in both instances you know I I saw our move to the farm with my son as almost the saving grace which is kind of hilarious because actually I ended up feeling more isolated after we moved there but I had something to look forward to but I in both instances my relationship with myself and my husband wasn't where I wanted to be and I just think I looked at my husband, this man who I just adored, and I just realised I am not the woman he married. And I realised that I was sinking back into being not that. And when I say not the woman he married, it's not like I'm, I'm holding myself to his standard. It was just I could see myself from his perspective for the first time and it made me want to cry because I know who he married and I know who I was then and I was just so far from that. And I just thought how sad for both of us because we went into parenthood together as a team and I have like left the building, (laughs) like I am just not here. And so for me it was just realising that I wasn't Steph anymore. And then how did you start clawing yourself back then? 
with Elliot, I clawed myself back absolutely with Motherland because it comes back to what I always say is if you hear other people's stories, you feel less alone. And Elliot was about eight or nine months old and he was crawling around on the floor next to me. Sam was gone for another day. It was another day solo parenting. And I just thought if they say it takes a village to raise a child, then where the hell is mine? So while I wasn't ready to admit to others that I was struggling, I heard other stories which made me feel like it was okay to not be okay. And then with Evie, it was just the, the final straw was, was like, this is not going to get better. I have tried the everything under the sun with the books and trying to get their sleep right and trying to find great activities in the day and go for a walk and see the sunshine, all this stuff. But I still had this dull sadness. And so I knew that I had to I had to talk to someone. It was just very difficult. Like I just, I remember just sweating at the thought of having to go and see this geriatric GP, a male, which I actually found really difficult as well to talk to someone like that. But I just had to rip the Band-Aid off and take that first step, you know. The stories of of women on the land are really quite extraordinary. I can say that because I've come from a long history of a family who farmed. There's something quite unique and extraordinary about the women who keep a family together in rural and remote areas. Yeah, you know, rural women and rural mothers are absolutely some of the most undervalued and undersupported women in the agriculture industry. You know, we are the linchpin and I'm so happy to preach this because I don't think we place enough value on how and why the mental health of mothers is so important. It's not just about having happier mums. If you have happier mums, you have happier children. If you have happier mums, you have happier partners. You have happier businesses, literally, like economically. If women are feeling more supported and they're feeling mentally and emotionally happy, then they're more likely to contribute to the workforce in a positive way. We need to have more of a preventative approach to mental health. While it's important that women seek support when they need it in their darkest moments, why are we waiting until we are so depressed and so down to finally put up the white flag and go and get help? And so I think that's where we need to change the conversation. And mental health can be scary. Like I think it can be very intimidating. Looking back, I was moving here with a baby that hadn't been sleeping with a husband working seven days a week, with no village, with no support, with no family, with no friends, geographically isolated, a recipe for disaster for someone who had come from the background I came from. I should have looked out for myself more and I should have started that discussion and that thought process when I was still in Melbourne before we moved here, but I didn't. And so many women don't, whatever their situation. So I think we need to change the conversation from not just treatment, but actually prevention and, and how we can better look after ourselves before it gets to breaking point. For you, you had the move from, from city to country and, and, and that in itself is stressful, but a change of gear in your lifestyle What do you say to women who have grown up on the land and have only known that life and that experience but haven't had that trigger of a move and a change Mm. to really be conscious of the fact that maybe my mental health isn't the best and and just because this is the status quo, I've always been alone, I've always been the, the mother that supported the family and because my mother did it and my grandmother did it, that this is a, a process that needs to, to change in some respect. Absolutely. It's a great question. And there is so much generational pressure, I find, from the women that I speak to. 
you know, their their mums and their grandmothers just got on with it. And, you know, I've spoken, I've had a couple of older mums, you know, in their 80s and 90s even on the podcast and there's this real grit and we just got on with it. I'm like, that's fine. That's your story. That's your story. That's your generation. That's not mine and that's not ours. And, you know, one thing our generation is getting right is we are communicating more than any other generation before us of mothers. And not everyone struggles. I've spoken to women who live in the middle of nowhere on 200,000 acre properties in the middle of the Northern Territory, and they are truly happy, fulfilled mothers. Like how amazing. So geographical isolation doesn't mean you're socially isolated or feeling depressed. But equally, I have spoken to women who just feel this need to get on with it and this pressure to be resilient. And I think being labelled resilient takes away from your pain a little bit. It's like, oh, she's so resilient. It's like, no, it was really bloody hard. And I struggled through it just like so many people before me. And and I think women on the land feel this pressure to be resilient and be tough. And I think that's actually what played out with me is I felt like I had to be the tough, resilient farmer's wife. You know, you always see farmers on the news battling drought, getting through, the, you know, the, the hardships that Mother Nature throws at us and all oh, the resilient farmers. We're not resilient. We just, we choose this life and we continue to choose it even in adversity. And some of us really struggle. And and so I think, yes, we need to talk about it more, particularly in the country, because we need to get rid of this facade that rural mums somehow should be tough or need to be tough. That's whether you've lived on the land your whole life or you've just moved there. So, yeah. I know it from in my own family as well. When you are alone, you're struggling and you're on the land. Sometimes the best listeners are the animals <laughs> and the cattle get yelled at and the dogs are your company. They are great listeners and this idea that you can just talk out loud and, and get it off your chest is a good step, but you do need that community. You need people to bounce back to you and, 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 and tell you you're going to be okay, it's all right, or yep, that's shit at the moment, you're struggling and that's okay, you'll get through it. Yeah, and so much goes unsaid. You know, I think of the mums that I spoke to early on with Elliot. There were some that I know for a fact they weren't completely honest with how hard they'd found it. When you know that there's another mum who's been through what you've been through, that's what eases the pain. None of this, it gets better, they're only little ones, enjoy it while you can. Like that was of no help to me at all. In fact, it actually made things worse because it made me feel more pressure And it made me feel more guilty that I wasn't enjoying it as much as society makes you feel like you should. I think we need to get a little bit more honest and check in on mums more, not to ask how's the baby sleeping, but how are you coping? Is someone cooking meals for you? Is your partner around? Have you got your friends on a roster? Like the stuff that matters that actually helps a mum. How are you these days and and how do you protect yourself? I'm better than I ever have been. I think four years into motherhood and we're two and done, absolutely. Um, (laughs) No question about that. Look, Evie's two, Elliot's about to turn four, and I feel like I'm finally finding my way as a mum and finding that balance and and I'm looking after myself more than ever. If I had to choose a word for 2023, it would be health. And for me, that's mentally, physically, a lot of things, but putting myself first, but also learning to say no. And that comes with work as well. Like 2022, I really pushed hard with work and, and, and I achieved great things, but I almost burnt out. And so for me, it's being really aware of my boundaries and my threshold and saying no, asking for help, communicating more with Sam and looking after myself a bit more and I think it for me it's easier like I am happy to admit I'm not a I'm not a baby mum I love newborns I miss breastfeeding so much but once my kids can start to talk and communicate I feel like that's when mentally I, I cope better with motherhood I find it really hard when they're super little and that lack of freedom that I felt the inability 
to leave the house without packing 3,000 things, missing out on social things. I feel more isolated with the baby, whereas now that the kids are older, I can I can do stuff with them. I can talk to Evie. Uh, you know, she's starting to talk and I'm finding my, my place in motherhood as the years go on. And, and for me, it's getting better. But, you know, I've had to work hard for it. I've had to seek the support. I've had to fork out a lot of money for the support. But what's a mum's life worth, right? The way that we are parented fundamentally has been proven to have an impact on the way that we parent future generations. And so I don't want my kids to carry any of my shit in the future. And so I need to sort myself out. That's a massive driver for me. So to answer your question, I'm better than I have been before, but always a work in progress. And I I intend on speaking to Monique indefinitely, even if it's only once a month or once every two months for the foreseeable future, because it comes back down to that preventative stuff. Just when I think I have nothing to say or just when I think, oh, I'm in a good place, I'm not depressed now, we'll find something to talk about that makes me think and reevaluate how I can better look after myself. And that's been a game changer. So if we flash back to the Channel 9 newsroom all those years ago, when someone asked you, what do you, what do you want to do, Steph? And you say, I'm going to be a 60 Minutes reporter. And someone else turns around to you and say, no, you are going to be a fabulous mother who lives on the land in the country and you are going to create this incredible online community that brings women together. What would you say? I just would not have believed you. I would have thought you'd, yeah, you'd knocked your head a bit. I just, I can't believe where I am now, but I also feel like this is always where I'm meant to be. I just feel like the best of Steph has been able to thrive in this new life without the additional stresses and pressure that I felt, you know, in my previous world. And I feel more connected to myself, um, to food, to nature. And so what I have realised is I didn't have to give up all of me When I became a mum, I didn't have to give up everything by moving to the land. I just had to look for the bits that I could bring to life here while working on the land. And and so that's what I'm so pumped about is I've been able to continue to be Steph and not just mum Steph, but continue to thrive and do the things that fill my cup while still living, my city friends would say, in the middle of nowhere. Um, And that's special. What do you say to mums, farming mums, regional and remote mums at the moment who might be listening and are struggling right now? Everyone has been where you are. I have not ever heard a story that another mum hasn't messaged me and said, oh my God, I've also been through that. Whether it's, you know, something incredibly traumatic through losing a child or a partner or just incredible mental health struggles and you are never alone, but it's also on you to seek the community. Maybe Motherland is it or maybe there's something locally. You just have to, unfortunately, you are going to have to be the one to seek that, but there's light on the other side and it's worth it. It's worth the effort. What do you say to the farmer, the dad? You know, I had a beautiful, a beautiful father reach out to me before Christmas and he emailed me and he said, I'd love to surprise my wife with a voucher to your Motherland Village program. And I just thought, how amazing. And and we were emailing back and forth and he said, yeah, we've got two, number three's on the way. And I think she's just struggling a bit and feeling really lonely. And I just thought, How amazing is that for a partner to notice that and to actually proactively do something to try and help her? And so I think we need, I think we need more fathers full stop listening to podcasts like this. First and foremost, I think that so many fathers could learn a thing or two if if they listened to what we actually talk about. And it might not be their cup of tea, but by God, it's important. And so I'd say, listen, farmers in particular, they are busy, they are working long hours. 
and they are, I think, guilty of assuming that we've got everything together at home. But sometimes we don't. It can look on the surface that we are just, you know, got everything under control and it can be a complete and utter disaster underneath the surface. And so communication, I think so much of what we struggle with with parenting these days comes down to a lack of communication and a lack of empathy. And, yeah, I would love more more male farmers to, to start paying more attention to what's going on at home. So if people want to find out more about Motherland and, and Steph and, and everything you're doing, where do they go? Um, so you can go to motherlandaustralia.com.au. Um, we've also on Instagram and Facebook. And we've got a book coming out, Motherland, um, which will hit the shelves in April, which you can pre-order. You could almost hear the sense of frustration at the lack of healthcare services in Steph's voice because, well, it is an incredibly frustrating thing to experience. But help is out there. You just need to know where to look. Clinical team leader and counselling psychologist at the Gidget Foundation Australia, Dr Erin Sito, is up next to discuss exactly what's on offer for regional parents and how to seek help in these circumstances. Well, Erin, what unique challenges do mums and dads who are on the land face compared to those in the city? Mm, Well, what we know is that the prevalence of mental health issues doesn't really differ across rural and urban um, locations. However, the parenting stressors are just so much greater when it comes to living more rurally. I guess looking at things like more social isolation, which Steph has talked about, the extended wait lists, the lack of available services or specialist services, the aftercare that might then be needed for birth trauma, you might not have access to those professionals locally. So then again, traveling greater distances just to get the help that you need, that basic need. And obviously just the vast distances also between support networks as well and community. You're having to travel and make time for that whilst also trying to raise a really small child and get through breastfeeding or sleeplessness and all those other things. We heard Steph say that she felt really alone on on this quest to get help. Is that a common experience? Yeah, isolation can be a really common experience for new and expectant parents, but that can also be compounded by for regional, rural and remote parents just by being more isolated. I think it's really important to remember that you are not alone as much as it might feel like you are. Telehealth has improved significantly and we're so well placed now to deliver services across the country and I think it's really important that you know that those services are out there and if you don't have immediate access to a doctor or specialist service then I think just expanding your field or your search criteria much further because there are services out there ready and waiting to help. I think building that sense of community is also incredibly important and that's something that we've worked really hard at Gidget Foundation Australia to focus on providing that for parents in these situations. And it is a real community. I've even found over the years since coming out and telling my story, other mums who are isolated have reached out to me going, I think I might be sick. What do I do? I You can do that even on social media. Yeah, I think social media is phenomenal. And I think also... Because there's that degree of separation as well, it gives women really and new parents to the confidence to reach out a bit more. Having people like yourselves be able to stick up their hand and say, look, this does affect anyone and everyone also gives them somewhere that they can feel, okay, I'm not alone in this journey. You know, if that person felt it, then yeah, I guess this is something I could also experience. I'm going to reach out and see what they've done. So communication is crucial now, but it's also available now in a way that it never was before. That number one support person, though, in a more isolated environment in regional and and remote areas is your partner. 
how important is that relationship to be honest with how you really are feeling? It's crucial. I mean, it's a person that you will speak to day in, day out. It's a person that will see you on tired days and on good days and on all the rest of it. They might not see you for long, but they'll see you for really short snippets of the day. I think it's also the relationship that goes through the biggest transition. You've been a couple and now you're a family and how you manage those new identities and what those new identities look like for each other and with each other and how to maintain that relationship as a couple as well. And so I think open communication is so key. Just as a check-in, you know, how are you both doing? I think particularly rural men really suffer in terms of mental health because they don't often speak about it. Rural stoicism, I think that's a very, very prevalent thing in both rural women and rural men. And so making sure that we are we are the starting point for challenging those barriers as well and seeking support for both parties. I think services doesn't matter what service you are services asking more of those questions you know if you're a GP don't wait for the person to tell you that their mental health isn't doing that great ask the question how are you doing the number of mums that I hear at the six-week checkup where they're hardly ever screened for mental health and it's the focus of that checkup is more what happens in the labour how are you feeling physically and now how's the baby going um, it makes me really sad because it's such a key opportunity. They are linked in with services at that point if you just ask that one extra question. So I think as professionals, there needs to be probably more training and more activity on our, our action on our point to tackle perinatal mental health. When should a mum or a, a partner be worried versus Steph's situation that she had a move and mm. there were obviously stress factors there, she was changing her lifestyle when is it just the baby blues or just adjusting to a new normal versus postnatal, perinatal anxiety and depression? Generally, I use the rule that the baby blues shows up in the first few days following giving birth and can last for up to six weeks. Anything kind of beyond that, I start to monitor symptoms. So what changes are there? How are you feeling? For anxiety, you're looking for probably more worries. It can impact on your sleep, your ability to fall asleep and stay asleep. It can impact on your behaviour. What way are you doing things or avoiding doing things that you used to do? Depressive symptoms, you can feel sad more often. You can be more tearful. And I think you're looking at those symptoms and are those symptoms coming up more days than not across a two-week period? Are you noticing that actually they're overwhelming the majority of your week rather than just being a bad day? Every day is kind of starting to feel a bit bad or every morning starting to feel harder to just get up and get motivated and do things. And loneliness mm-hmm. as well. When is that okay and when is it mm. is it not all right? Mm. I think as human beings, we're driven to connect mostly. So what I would challenge is, what were you like before? When did you feel lonely before? Because people do feel lonely. It's part of everyday life almost. But, you know, what did you do then when you were feeling lonely to make yourself feel better? Are you still doing those things? Particularly with women who live more rurally or who are, On farms, for example, you don't get the luxury of maternity leave because actually there's no one to cover you. So I think it's about, you know, are you those tasks that you would have been doing as part of work that you have to continue doing? How have they changed? And, you know, definitely in terms of maternity leave, being more flexible, having open communication with your employer, having plans for sick days or if the baby's not a good sleeper, then can you have the morning off and work more in the evenings and do different tasks? You know, are you able to still manage some of those that element of who you were I think those sorts of things are are important to monitor and having family even just sending a text message they might not live anywhere near you 
if they've sent a text message and they've not heard back from you, is that a flag for actually maybe things are not okay? Maybe this is more than just one bad day. Maybe this is a few bad days. What's going on and who have you got and who can you speak to? So where can parents go to get help? So Gidget Foundation Australia offers a whole range of supports online. So we have our Start Talking, which is our telehealth programme. We also have fact sheets online. We've got various Gidget virtual village groups, which is on a Facebook platform. And that's peer moderated support. And I think what's really nice as an observer is seeing the way that women are there to stand up and help each other. Like it's such a powerful platform to be peer supported and have someone else say I get you I hear you I see you it's one of the most powerful forms of therapy isn't it yeah I mean they might be a million miles away from you but they're there in that moment with you and they're providing crucial suggestions that you might not have come across but you know might be exactly what you needed to hear in that moment and just to highlight that you can access these services anywhere and that is so important for those that are living in regional rural and remote areas please look us up and that is you taking your first step. Well, Erin, thank you. This podcast is a listener production made in partnership with Gidget Foundation Australia. Producer is Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens with audio production from Kelly Falston. Listener.